Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Uh, my brother Brian is out on the road and should be joining us by phone here later in the show. But we're talking today about late season soybean insects. Found it interesting today. So I was talking with an agronomist who had been out in a field and dug up some soybean plants that were infected with Phytophthora and they were having an area of the field that was dying and didn't look great. And that, that's no fun. Don't don't wish that on anybody. But one thing that was kind of interesting out of it, she had put some of the plants in, in a container to bring back. And so as I looked at that container, well... <laughs> There's a bug in there. And I thought, man, how many other bugs got trapped in here? And they weren't even looking for insects in the field at the time. They were they were mainly just looking at this disease and deciding what are they going to do going forward to manage that a little bit better, a little bit differently. And and here we go. Not When we're not even trying to find bugs, we're finding bugs in soybean fields. This time of year, I really like to have a sweep net with me in my truck all the time to get out in these fields, do some sweeping. But when the beans are as tall as you... The sweep net's pretty much out, and at that point, what I'm doing is just using my arms, spreading open the canopy. On our farm, we're in 30-inch rows. I realize not everybody is. Some some rows are pretty narrow and, and drilled and those kinds of things where you may not be able to do it quite as easy. But I, I like to just walk down the rows, open up that canopy a little bit, and see what I see. I just sit there for, for a few minutes and, and see what starts moving around. And oftentimes if you see feeding, that gives you a good indication of what you're looking for, whether it be a stink bug or uh, a bean leaf beetle. This case, this year we're seeing a lot of flea beetles out there, just tiny little holes in the plants, grasshoppers, Japanese beetles. There's just a wide range of bugs. The, the good thing is most of those bugs can be controlled with a full rate of a pyrethroid insecticide, which is only going to cost you a few bucks an acre. So it's not super expensive. The, the real key here, as you see, okay, I have a lot of bugs. The thing that I'm looking for right now that isn't really an insect, but a lot of folks consider it one and the same, is spider mites. Well, they're different. And you're basic uh, warrior type of product, Mustang Max, they're not going to kill those spider mites. So you do have to keep an eye out if you're in a dry situation and you've got insects out in your soybean fields, just make sure you look really closely to see if you have any spider mites in the field. If you do, in our area, we can switch to bifenthrin. It does pretty well. The Lorsban products, uh, Lorsban, Cobalt, those types of products have really decent activity on spider mites in our area. But if not, you'll have to use a miticide. And it's just one of those things. You want to make sure you control everything when you're out there in the field and not lead into some more problems because you kill off all the predator bugs for those spider mites. And now all of a sudden you get a big mite outbreak in your field and you don't want that. Now, one bug that we haven't, we've talked about it a few times, but we really haven't seen a big outbreak yet this year. And maybe it's because it's been hot. Maybe it's because it's been dry. I'm not sure. But we really haven't seen too many soybean aphids yet. There have been a few guys that have sprayed that I'm aware of in our region, but not that many. So it's one that you really have to keep a close eye out for, especially as we get in the later part of July and into the early part of August. Normally in our farm, that's where we're seeing the most soybean aphids. So we're really watching closely at that point. And, and also, I was just talking to a agronomist here uh, about an hour ago about 
flying his drone. And he said, you know, I haven't had the drone out that much this year. I need to, I need to get my drone up in the air a little bit more. And he had a green snap cornfield that he was heading out to take a look at. But the drone's been really nice for scouting for soybean aphids, especially if you've got great big soybean fields, because you can spot those those little hot pockets out in the field where you've got a lot of aphids. And I know as you walk through one of those and you kind of get all sticky, you can just see it on the plants that, that there's something different. And, and if you've seen it more than once, you know that it's aphids. But that's another thing that's nice to scout with the drone. You can get over that whole field in a really short period of time and see if you see any of those hot spots. Because oftentimes I'll talk with farmers that say, you know, at a hot spot over by the trees or down in that valley, and what do I do with that? Well, are you going to drive out to the middle of the field and treat that hot spot so they don't spread? If so, awesome. That would be great. But if you're looking at it as, well, I got a hot spot, that tells me within the next few days I would have to treat the whole field, so be it. But however you you choose to manage that on your farm, I would personally try to treat those hot spots if you can. The problem is you never find them until it's too late and the aphids are already at such a thick population there, they're moving throughout the field. So do keep an eye out for those bugs when you're out in the field. Now, a couple other things. Had a good conversation with a farmer last night who had cupped soybeans in his field. And he was wondering, you know, how am I ever going to tell if I lost yield or not? Because if the whole field's cupped, it's not like there's a check strip. And you could say, well, I can compare to my neighbor's field that doesn't have any cupping. But he's got a different variety. It's a different field. And you don't really know. I mean, you kind of have an idea that, all right, if everybody else is getting 60 bushel soybeans and I got 40, I know that I really lost 20 bushels here. But you don't know exactly. Maybe your field was only going to yield 50. Maybe it was going to yield 55. Or maybe it's going to yield 80 and everybody else is going to go 60. I, I don't know. But one thing that's a, a nice little tip, if you're worried about that, because there's so much cupping across the upper Midwest this year. It's crazy from dicamba. Get out there, look at the top few nodes on your plants. That's where a lot of the cupping's taking place. And count what you've got out there for flowers and just see. Because we know not every flower is going to result in a pod. Some of them are just going to abort for, for many different reasons out in the field. But start taking a look at, well, what do I have here for pods? Or what do I have for flowers at each one of these nodes? Then, then cross the fence or, or head a couple fields over till you find that field that isn't cupped at all. And start counting there and just see what you got. And it was interesting because uh, the agronomist I was talking to about this, he had done this with some farmers and they found where they had the cupped. Well, it's probably not due to the dicamba volatility or drift out of their field, but they actually had more flowers where the beans were cupped. And they were actually kind of encouraged by that. Wow, I, I got some damage, but... I'm still going to yield pretty decent out here. So I think that's going to happen in more, more cases than we think. All right, we're going to talk about late season soybean insects. So stay tuned. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. 
please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio, and we're talking about late season soybean insects. Yeah, you thought you were done spraying out in your soybean fields. Maybe you're even getting a little lax in your scouting right now because it's hot. You got to get back out there. You got to keep an eye out for bugs because they can certainly catch up to you late in the season. Got Matthew Wiggins with us right now with FMC to talk about it. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, one thing that we get a question about a lot, and I know with FMC you've got products that fall into these categories, but we look at bifenthrin and those groups, or I should say third-generation pyrethroids versus just your second-generation pyrethroid, like a Mustang Max, for example. What's the right. difference between those products and, and where farmers are asking all the time, okay, it's it's not very much money to step up to that third-generation bifenthrin-type product. Where is it worth it for farmers, and where would you say, you know, you could probably save the dollar and go with Mustang Max? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, and, and you know, it's really going to be based off what your insect complex is that you are trying to address out in your soybean field. Um, so specifically, like with bifenthrin or bifenthrin-containing products like a Hero insecticide, um, which is actually a premix of bifenthrin and Mustang Max or Zeta Cypermethrin, you know, a product like that is going to have really tremendous fit um, kind of holistically, whether you're looking at your foliage feeders, if you're looking at some of the worm complex, um, but really where we see the benefit of bifenthrin is in, in managing and controlling stink bug populations, specifically some of the more difficult to control stink bugs like brown stink bugs um, or if you get down further south we have other like brown marmorated stink bugs or red banded stink bugs in which bifenthrin is the only pyrethroid um, that's actually recommended for those brown stink bug species. Interesting. Yeah, we don't have a big stink bug problem where we're at much further north from you, but we're starting to see more stink bugs every year. That definitely can be an issue for us. Okay, you mentioned Hero, and obviously that's a premium selection. You've got both Mustang Max and Bifenthrin in the product. 
which is awesome. Uh, we, we hear a lot about length of control, especially late in the season. Growers are saying, all right, here we are. We're almost to August. I'd kind of like to be done. Can I use one product and just be done for the year and run with a good, strong rate of something like Hero? What, what's been your experience? Yeah, in most situations, that, that is the case. Um, you know, and it's going to be dependent on your, your pest population, how fast they're rebounding. I mean, we're going to have, you know, insects like Bengalese beetles and Japanese beetles that kind of continue to, you know, uh, show their head as we move throughout the season. But typically, you know, that one application can get us uh, to the point to where we need to be um, as far as uh, physiological maturity. And, and we're not necessarily worried about protecting um, those soybeans. But with, with all of these pyrethroids, you, you've got to remember whether it's an FMC pyrethroid or another brand, um, they all degrade in UV sunlight. Um, so, you know, really the residual component of a pyrethroid insecticide, it, you know, it can last, you know, even for some place, say like 12 to 18 days, but it's going to be dependent on how cloudy it is and the rainfall. And if you're getting, you know, direct sunlight on that crop canopy where you've made that application. So in times there can be instances where you need to come back and reapply, but, you know, most of our growers nowadays are going out at a, a standard R3 timing with a fungicide application and tank mixing a fungicide with an insecticide and really protecting that, that uh, soybean plant as it's kind of in that vulnerable stage as we're going through pod field. Yeah, the pod clipping is something that really makes me nervous, or or stink bugs piercing into a pod, those types of bugs. I, I just have zero tolerance, especially when beans are worth this much. And honestly, insecticides are pretty reasonable. They aren't super, super expensive anymore. The The other tough decision that a lot of growers have is, how am I going to apply them? Do I need lots of water to get these things down into that canopy, or can I just get them on the top of the plant and bugs will eventually crawl through them? Where where do you go with coverage, Matthew? What What are your recommendations? Well, you know, if I'm making, say, a foliar spray and I'm using a ground rig, for instance, you know, my recommendation is the more water that you, you can use, the happier that you're going to be with your control. Most of the times, like I said before, we're going to be taint mixing that with a fungicide, so coverage is going to be essential anyways. So if we can run our pressure up and if we've got holocone nozzles or something like that that's going to you know, make sure we've got some pretty small droplet sizes that can penetrate that canopy very well. Um, that's, that's, you know, really beneficial as far as ma ma managing these soybean insects. Um, you know, but we still have some, uh, you know, applications that occur in aerially, either with an airplane or helicopter. Um, you know, three, three gallons to the acre is kind of a standard that they use in that type of situation. And then what you are kind of relying on is those Insects, as they become active throughout the day, they tend to move up to the top of the canopy, and then that's when they'll come in contact with those pyrethroid chemistries, and, and that'll lead to their management. Great advice here. We're talking with Matthew Wiggins with FMC down in Tennessee. Matthew, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Let's head out to Ohio. We've got Bill with a question on fungicides and soybeans. Bill, how are you doing? Hey, pretty good, Darren. Hey, I got some uh, fungicide question for you for some soybeans. Sure. Uh, uh, I'm looking for generics, you know, so I can get it on a little cheaper but still get it effective. Okay. So um, uh, how about if I use, um, see, I'm having trouble finding uh, Domark. Okay. Generic Domark. You know, uh, my supplier having difficulty getting it in this in this condition of country today <laughs> yep, so, um, yep. 
can we can we use um some um Thompson which would uh along with some quadrus. We can get quadrus. Quadrus is pretty common in our area, so I can get plenty of that. Okay. Uh, so what was the first one again? So Quadris is azoxystrobin, and, and you're right. There's a lot of different suppliers of that. It seems like that's one that's out there in, in decent quantity. I know for our farm we use some azoxystrobin uh, pretty much every year. So, yep, real common uh, strobilurin-type product. So that's that's totally fine. What was the first one? But, well, how about a generic for Thompson if I can't, if I can't find uh, the Dolmark? Uh, I guess I'm not sure Thompson. I'm not sure what that one is, but uh, sure you could it's use. Primarily, it's a, it's primarily for white mold. Oh, okay, okay. So so yeah, get get something else for white mold because Quadris is not great on white mold control. But but yes, mix your white mold fungicide in with the Quadris. In most cases, those are totally compatible. So yep, you absolutely could. Uh, I think the white mold great. thing is something. I know I hear a lot of guys in Ohio that we've been talking to recently have had enough rainfall. How are you sitting for moisture, Bill? Yeah, we got quite a bit. We're actually probably about five six inches above normal. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that's so, where it, that's you know, where it's all going. We're we're short here, Bill. You're hogging it. Thus in Germany and who else got rain last night? Uh, Colorado, northern Colorado got swamped last night. Oh. Well, good for them. Everybody but the-, the forest fires is getting rain. Oh, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Oh, that can make such a difference. Well, yeah, where you're getting okay. rain, I'm absolutely concerned about the white mold. So are your rows all filled in? You got closed canopy? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. It's yeah. They've been filled in for a month. Okay. Yeah. A little bit wet, but you know that's why we're a little concerned about white mold. You know, sure. it hasn't started yet, but it usually doesn't get going to August. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, we worry about that too. And the challenge for us here is a lot of the fields that were uh, in 2019 filled with soybeans, or we had some white mold. We were right back in those spots again, where where it's white mold fields and uh, <laughs> we've get, definitely got the seeds for the white mold out there. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah. So, so if we would use this, this uh, generic Thompson, which is a substitute for Domart, would we use about the same rate that we would have if it was Domart? Like uh, that, that's a good question. I don't know that particular generic one, but. We can just go to the label then. Yeah, and see yeah, what yes. Because I know we, with here's the thing with Domark uh, that that five ounce rate was kind of the low upfront rate where a lot of guys were running the higher rate like towards ten ounces when they were really worried about heavy white mold pressure. So that I would make sure I'm using the full labeled rate on that one. And as far as the quadris part, um, yeah, you can you can add whatever you want in on that either a full rate or a half rate with the quadris. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll go. All right. That's good. Thanks. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Thanks a lot, Bill. We really appreciate it. Yeah, the white mold thing, boy, for the guys that are getting rain and have canopy like that, it could definitely be a concern this year. No doubt about that. We'll talk more about late season soybean insects right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. 
That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. All right, the knowledge level in the room just went up significantly because we've got Jeff Whitworth on with Kansas State University to talk about late season soybean insects. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Sure, anytime. My pleasure. All right, so talk to us about what's happening in Kansas right now. Are you seeing any bugs out there in the soybean fields? I'll tell you what, I've just been out in soybeans uh, the last couple of days, and really and truly it's amazing. I was just going to put a little note in our newsletter. Um, we have not had the defoliators that we usually have uh, up to this point in time. Now realize we're only halfway through the growing season, and a lot of the beans in Kansas are just getting into the reproductive stages, um, so kind of the critical stages. But we're just starting to see beanleaf beetle adults come out and stink bug adults are starting to come out 
Um, and those can be worrisome later in the season. Uh, the, the ones we worry about really later in the season are stink bugs, uh, bean leaf beetle adults, and corn worms or soybean pod worms, mainly because those three can feed on the marketable product. You know, the, the bean leaf beetle adult, the larvae feed on the roots or the root hairs, uh, but the adults will feed on the pods, and they will feed on those pods from now till they're to you know to about harvest time. Once they get start turning hard and brown, uh, the adult bean leaf beetle goes off for overwintering. The pod worm, corn earworm, it's the same one, sorghum head, whatever you want to call it, they will feed on the seeds within the pods. And that's that's a very important distinction to make for the growers because if they're out checking their fields and they have pod feeding, that could be a grasshopper or a bean leaf beetle adult. But if there's just a hole right where the seed is or the bean or two or three, that's probably going to be the corn earworm larva. And the importance of that is those are only going to feed on the seeds for about two weeks, and then they go off to pupate. So if the guys are out looking in their fields and they're sampling, monitoring their fields, and they're seeing that, but they don't see any worms, it's probably too late to spray. So they're going to want to back off and wait another two weeks to see if we get another. There'll be more, another generation, but uh, they may move on to sorghum or something else. So that's in the stink bugs, they will feed just on the seeds, just when they're really tender, succulent, and developing inside those pods because they have a, a long proboscis or a mouth part that they have to insert through the pod into the seed and suck the juice out. Uh, so that's that's a very small window also. But those are the late-season insects that I worry about simply because they're feeding on the marketable product. So, now, some of the defoliators... You know, it takes quite a bit of defoliation to impact yield, especially during the vegetative stage. So once it gets to the reproductive stage, it's maybe 20 to 30% defoliation. But, but usually by then, the defoliators, at least here uh, in this part of the Midwest, they're pretty much a minimal uh, problem, and we start worrying about, the, like I said, the stink bugs or the bean leaf beetle adult or the corn earworm larva. All right, two more I want to ask you about, Dectus stem borer, and then uh, hopefully this is more of a Nebraska problem than a Kansas problem, at least hopefully for you, soybean gall midge larvae. Are you seeing any of those down in Kansas this year? We have not, and we did a little survey last year, and we didn't find any, and, I, and the can extension agents uh, are all pretty well up to date, and they're pretty well keeping at least I think they are, and they say they are keeping pretty good tabs on that. We've not had that yet in Kansas. And so I, I just really hope Nebraska keeps it up there. Um, <laughs> well, I know the we guys in Nebraska tabs. really don't want anybody else to have that problem either. It's It's been a tough one. That's I just had to ask about that. I, I know you know some sometimes uh, things spread, but I know you guys are on the lookout. We're, we're speaking with Jeff Whitworth here at Kansas State. Jeff, uh, always great talking to you, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Let's head across over to Arkansas now. Got our friend Rob Dedman over there. Rob, how you doing? 
Hey, Darren. How are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. So talk to me about your soybeans because you guys are consistently raising 100 bushel beans down there, which is amazing. And I can only imagine if I was an insect, those 100 bushel beans have to look pretty tasty to me. So are you fighting bugs about this time of year? I guess they must be really tasty this year, so hopefully there's some really good yields out there because I'm telling you we are at full-fledged war right now with the with the green stink bugs and and the uh, soybean loopers and the cabbage loopers along with the uh, fall armyworms. Seems like we're having a, a terrible time with fall armyworms this year so far. Okay. Uh, talk to us about that. you got got several different pests there. Is it the same control method for all of those, and if so, what has been the tool of choice this year? Well, you know, I don't. There's there's options out there, and 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 I, and I like to be gentle. I like to be gentle on the beneficials as much as we can, and 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 with the green stink bugs, you know, it's it's kind of hard to be gentle because you're going to use your pyrethroids, which that's gonna that's gonna knock down your uh, beneficials. But you're all you know, the other option is to go with acephate, and uh, that's going to knock down your beneficials. But you know, so. You're you're gonna you're gonna hurt that population regardless of what you do with the sting bugs, but the um, the worms and 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 the and the loopers, you know, um, I, I look at intrepid age pretty hard. Uh, that product's got a fast knockdown. Uh, it's 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 it is gentle on, on on the beneficial, so that takes a little of the pressure off of them. But but one of the things that I see about that product is we use the um, the diamides a lot in corn and uh in cotton to control the bow worms and the corn ear worms so it, it gives us a break from the diamides and, and helps them try to manage you know potential resistance issues there sure yeah the resistance is something we definitely want to watch out for and i know in some cases the pyrethroids are not working great like on soybean aphids in the state of minnesota where they've got some aphids resistant to pyrethroids now so that's a good strategy now when you're out spraying all these bugs is that allowing you a window also to spray some fungicide to spray some foliars are you doing some of that at the same point yeah you know so that that's a great opportunity and and, and a lot of this for us is occurring here at, at you know what i call r5.5 and I had a guy the other day. He said, "Well, how, how do you be so? How are you so specific on on these growth stages?" I said, "You know, it's just that that's that's Rob's growth stage." And um, the but anyway, it's um, we are we we do have it gives us the opportunity to run some some foliar nutrition if needed. Um, pack that last little bit you can into those seeds before it gets too late. Um, I've seen a lot of times that that these late foliar applications like this you know with a uh, a good potassium product of some sort we'll um, add, add add some seed size add some seed weight and you know it's the the cost versus the return is usually really nice so yeah i, I take advantage of that and you know we're, we're we typically are four or three or four we apply that fungicide and and that typically carries us through. We we, we like to run the Revitech and the uh, by BASF and the Miravis Top by um, Syngenta. Those seem to work really well for 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 the problems that we have here in the mid south. But but yeah, those those foliar nutrition applications. It's just a it's a free ride for those products. Absolutely. Well, I know when you're raising 100 bushel beans, it's not because you have a million tiny little BBs out there. You're getting some pretty decent beefy seeds. And if you can raise those uh, 2,200 seeds per pound beans, that's a pretty good way to get to 100. I know that. 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's something we look at really hard is is seed size and and um and 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 I expect you know the the yield on the end to look like what we put in the ground. And if we put BBs in the ground, then I would expect to see um pot the potential to get BBs on the on the backside or there. So I like to see I like to plant big seed. Um, I like to see us when we do. You know, we we had a we had a variety this year that the the, the seeds were very very small and, and and we just we quit planting them because we just we didn't have any trust in them and, um but but yeah big seed on the front you know the old saying start strong finish strong that's absolutely that's the way i've always kind of been <laughs> well if we can keep those stink bugs like you say you're a total war with the bugs right now keep them out that sure helps we're talking with rob deadman down in the state of arkansas look forward to seeing you soon at the ag phd field day rob stay tuned we'll be right back in an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We have been talking about late season soybean insects all over the country, Kansas, Arkansas, Tennessee. I want to talk a little bit about right here at home. Let's let's talk to Aaron Varen, or Adam Varenhorst next from South Dakota State University to see what's happening right close to our farm. Adam, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you today? Well, not too bad. We've got these little flea beetles out in our soybeans, and we got a, a few odds and ends of different species. What are you seeing across South Dakota? You know, the, those are the red-headed flea beetles, and I've been seeing them in corn, soybean, and pretty much throughout the state. We're also starting to see the next population of bean leaf beetles showing up and a few caterpillars here and there. So quite a few defoliating insects present in the soybeans in South Dakota right now. You know, the bean leaf beetles, there's a lot of farmers that this time of year, they're just kind of used to, all right, we're going to see bean leaf beetles, we're going to see some corn rootworm beetles flying around. For for people that aren't facing those yet, are they still coming, or are all the ones that are going to emerge, are they out? We will probably continue to see some emergence. Uh, you know, every field's not the same as far as uh, the exposure to the sun and the temperature of the soil for uh whether or not those are emerging yet. And this year has been one of those very unusual ones in terms of we've been very warm. And so uh, for some of these insects that we monitor based on the growing degree days, uh, we've accumulated far more growing degree days at this point in the season than during the normal season. And we've seen some insects emerge early as a result of that. And some, uh, we're not sure if it's the heat. Some seem to be a little behind schedule. And so Uh, The best we can do is keep an eye on the field and see what's actually happening. And with all these defoliators, one of the things we really recommend is scout and see how much defoliation is present in the field. And most of our bean fields should all be well in the flowering stages now and moving into the reproductive stages. And so we recommend a 20% defoliation average throughout the field. Uh, Just because it's pretty hard to go out there you need a sweep net and it's a little bit easier to look at defoliation versus trying to figure out exactly how many of each pest species is present in the field. Now for most of the farmers in South Dakota it's soybean aphids, uh, grasshoppers, bean leaf beetles kind of every year we're watching for those but there's some new ones too that we've been watching here. Thanks to our friends in the south we've got some Japanese beetles working their way up here and I know there's a lot of listeners here saying what? What are you talking about Japanese beetles? We fight them every year, but they're kind of unusual for South Dakota. We haven't seen them until just the last few years. Are you seeing growing numbers on those, or are we kind of holding them in check? You know, I've seen more in the last year or so than I have previously, and I I did all my research down at Iowa State, and so I'm not new to the Japanese beetle problem, especially in soybeans, a little bit in corn. But one of the things that we kind of will watch, especially on this part side of the state, the eastern side of South Dakota will probably have more pressure from those than as we head to the central part of the state, just because those really like to have trees around. And so uh, one of the things we'll watch for is just their populations. I know as we move into South Dakota, the highest populations so far are still kind of down on the 
southern edge of our I-29 corridor in South Dakota. And then as you move north, you can still find them in some of the towns, but they seem to still be uh, fairly small populations. And uh, we'll probably see those in the, f the future continue to build up. But until we see large populations in the field, I'm not extremely concerned because uh, to really have large amounts of defoliation, uh, we're going to need to have uh, in the realm of thousands of beetles out in the field. So, and I haven't quite seen that yet, but it's something we'll watch for. And, you know, you mentioned grasshoppers, and this year I think grasshoppers are probably going to be our number one problem for most of our crops just because it's dry, it's hot, and the grass is already in most of the areas been mowed and baled, and those those grasshoppers are looking for something green to move into. And so our crops are really the last thing in the landscape right now that's still a little green. So uh, we'll see them move in. Uh, probably happening already and need to be monitored for just to make sure we don't get severe defoliation occurring. You know, we're getting a lot of grasshopper questions, and one of them revolves around dimelin and trying to stop those grasshoppers from molting and moving to the next stage. Does dimelin work well? Have you have you done much work with that? I have not worked a lot with it, and one of the things I will mention is that We've had a lot of calls in the last week about using growth regulators uh, such as that product. And the big thing with those is we need to get those early in the season when the grasshoppers are still growing. And so a lot of our populations now uh, are going to be mixed. So we'll have adults and then also the nymph or nymphal uh, stages. So they're still developing. And so it won't do anything against the adults really because that's going to uh, they're past that point and so a different product would have a lot more impact on those and so you know my my thoughts are there probably are other products out in the out there right now that'll probably serve a better purpose for reducing grasshoppers than a growth regulator in late july all right we were talking with jeff whitworth down at kansas state university he said they're not seeing the gall midge larvae yet like nebraska and south dakota and minnesota and iowa have what are we seeing in south dakota is this a problem that's spreading or is it something that's really staying uh, put down in the southeast corner of the state so far we've seen gall midge uh in a large portion of the eastern side of the state so pretty much anywhere we have soybeans growing. We've been doing surveys. We'll be starting our South Dakota survey up here probably in the next week or so. We typically wait a little bit into July just so that it's a little bit easier for us to scout for the presence because typically if you have a field that's infested, there'll be some wilting plants. And if we go too early, uh, we're just, we'll be scouting thousands and thousands of plants. But well, we've seen them as far north as Edmonds County. And then last year they actually were found pretty close to the Missouri River and central uh, part of the state on 14. So uh, the worst populations still tend to be in the southeast part of the state. That seems to be where they show up the earliest and they hit the hardest. Although this year my number of calls have gone down quite a bit and I need to get down there and start scouting a little bit. But I've been hearing from some of our other neighboring states that it doesn't seem like the pressure's as bad this year as in the previous years. And uh, one of the things we've been toying with is whether or not they need a lot of moisture to really take off. And so maybe uh, these drought conditions are actually not favorable for that pest. So we'll have to do some more work on that. But I think I think in terms of this year, uh, the soybean gall midge might not be as bad as it has been for the last couple of years before this. 
Oh, interesting. Uh, one other thing, too, I should mention, I've seen a little bit of Dectus Stemborn. It's something that every year we see a few just random here and there. Is this something that you're seeing more of, or is it, it just one of those that, ah, there's just a one-off here and there? You know, it, those are another one. It seems like uh, every year, like you said, I'll get a call about a field. Uh, typically, our fields that we see, those are also down in the southeast part of the state. and you know, the Dectes, it, they're kind of hard to scout for unless you're really out there and you see a severely infested field. Uh, I'm used to them more in our sunflower uh, production acres because most of every sunflower field we've scouted uh, in South Dakota will have some level of Dectes present. And the big problem with those in uh, soybean is we can't use the same recommendations we might in sunflower because uh, in sunflower, we say reduce the planting population, get bigger stems, and then they can't cause lodging. Or in soybean, we can't really push that uh, as well. So one of the things to consider is that if there are Dectes populations in a soybean field, uh, one of the big things we can try to do is adjust planting times a little bit. So try to avoid uh, when those Dectes are active. Uh, the problem with that is sometimes that means planting later. Uh, and I always... I'm sure most of the listeners would agree. I'm always a little hesitant to think about pushing planting <laughs> back with all the I studies agree. we have. And then, you know, it's that one off year where you miss your rain. And then when you want to be planting, it is raining. And then you have to wait. and It can really delay things. So uh, with the Dectes, the best thing to do uh, in most of our acres where we do have them is probably tillage. Uh, as we move to the central part of the state, I know we move into a lot more no-till. And it's becoming more popular even on this east more of the eastern side it, of the state it sure so. is adam and and that does you're right the the tillage definitely can impact uh survivability of these bugs leaving them a home over the winter hey we got to run adam uh, we're talking to adam Varenhorst with south dakota state university stay tuned we'll be right back you work for results That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about late season soybean insects, but man, we've got a bunch of questions that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. Radio at agphd.com is our email. Let's get to the mailbag questions now. It's the mailbag. And we welcome to the show Brian, who's out and about traveling around today a little bit. Brian, uh, I got a question for Ann Corn Bracelets. Are you ready for that? Go ahead. All right. This comes from Matt in southwest Indiana, and he said, I've heard that brace roots are a bad thing because the way it was explained to me that there's a filter at the bottom of the plant catching impurities from the soil, and when that gets restricted, the plant has to put out these brace roots. Now, I may be wrong, but I've heard you say brace roots are a good thing. Just wondering if this is true, and if I have brace roots and don't want them, what could I do to change that situation? Well, I'm not going to say that brace roots are a good thing or a bad thing. We just always have said brace roots are a result of stress. So, for example, if you've had a lot of wind and your plant's wobbling around, if you have a great big ear and your plant's a little unstable, then your plant has to put out brace roots. The brace roots can bring in some water and nutrients, but their main job is stability. So if you had, let's say, really short plants that are really thick, you probably theoretically wouldn't need as many brace roots, but I don't know. I've never heard that they're either good or bad. I don't really care. How do you feel about it, Derek? Well, I think what you've heard, Matt, is you've heard us say that tillers are good. We like tillers out in fields. We have no problem with tillers and corn, the plants accumulating more nutrients quick early in the season, and oftentimes later in the season it'll draw the nutrients out of the out of the tillers to try to feed that ear development and feed the plant as as it's getting to those later stages in the year when it's dry and it's not able to get enough nutrition out of the root system. So tillers, we like brace roots. Yeah, I agree with Brian. Not necessarily good or bad, but when they're necessary due to stress, hey, I'd rather have them than not have them. But they can definitely bring some water and nutrients up into the plant late in the season, and that can be a good thing too. And and you're right. I'd love to keep that plant root system super healthy all through the year and functioning as best as it can. 
So not, not really anything different to say there, but I would say if you're having problems and you see lots of disease or insect pressure on your root system, then add more fungicide, add a better seed treatment, uh, do whatever you can to encourage good early season root growth. And the other thing to watch is just that you're not overdoing it with what you're putting in the furrow or near the furrow for fertility, because that can cause some issues to your root system as well. All right. Thanks for that question. Get this one uh, from KP. He said, I see common cockleburr seeds washing up at the edge of water along beach dunes, these types of things. Do they float in the ocean? Do they float down rivers? And are they still viable seeds then? Well, I know that they float to some degree because we've had them wash into our fields and the river's gone over its banks. So they must float. I don't know if they float in the ocean necessarily, how long they're going to last in salt water. But in fresh water, yes, I know they float. And are they going to be viable? Well, look, even if some of them are viable, that's too many for me. So no one knows if they're going to be viable or not, but I would put my money on the cockleberry seed being viable because it's led to a lot of weed problems in our own fields on the river bottom. So I, I mean, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter if they're viable or not. In the beginning, what we care about is when we scout, do we find cockleberry plants there that we have to control? If so, you got to go get them. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, got this one from Brett, and he said, I I catch your show all the time, learned a lot. Just wonder if you know anything that I could use in my ditch to kill broadleaves and small junk bushes, but leave the grass alone to hold the soil. I'm in northern Indiana, and unfortunately I've got water flowing through the ditches. Is there something that would have an aquatic label? Uh, well, there is aquatic 2,4-D, aquatic label 2,4-D. So I, I would take a look at that. Um, I don't know on the new 2,4-D Freelex if that would have an aquatic label or not. That's a good question. I was totally ready to answer this question, Darren, until at the very end you threw in aquatic. Now, <laughs> I don't know what, when he says water going through there, is it just a little water? And yeah, is it is it a, a hey, we had a four-inch rain, and now the ditch is running, and uh, in a couple of days right. it won't be running at all? If that's the case, that's yes, simple. you have a lot more options, but it sounds like uh, yeah. this is a normal thing that water is going to flow through this particular well, ditch. Let's let's just assume that it is dry, and at least for a little while. You could use Remedy Ultra or Bassland, so that's triclofir, and that's not going to leave you a whole bunch of residual, so you don't have to worry about uh, the future with Tordon, for example, if you put Tordon in your ditch, it's going to stay there for years. Plus, you would have to worry if some of that residue was to wash downstream if you're saying water goes through. Well, with triclofir, it's done. I mean, there's no long-term residual or anything like that. You spray it, you're done. So that's probably what I would use, Remedy Ultra or Bassland, if you're trying to kill small brush. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. This one from Jared down in Western Australia. He said, we've got some high sodium salts that are really low in calcium. So we need to get some more calcium out there along with drain wait, tile. Hey, wait, what, what, wait, wait, wait. What did, I thought you said high sodium salts. High, they have high again? sodium soils okay. that are also short in calcium. So along with their drain tile they're putting in, they're wondering about putting out a calcium source. They've got access to a calcium hydroxide that's 80% calcium. And would that be better than calcium carbonate that only has 40% calcium in the source that they can have? Uh, 
Probably not. Calcium carbonate is what raises soil pH. But, I mean, I, boy, that's a good question. Usually we like calcium sulfate, so we get the calcium and the gypsum. I don't know if I've ever had this particular no. question. No, I don't think I have either, and I agree with you, Brian. If calcium sulfate is available, and calcium sulfate is pretty widely available around the globe. If you've got a source anywhere as close to you, that sulfur portion of that, or that sulfate portion does a good job connecting with the sodium and helping it to flush out of the soil. So right. that, that right. would be my product of choice. If I needed calcium and I had a lot of excess sodium and I love that you're doing the drain tile too, Jared, that's going to allow you to flush it through when you get some rain. All right. Uh, get one here from, from, uh, uh, I'm going to say anonymous because because he said uh, you don't really have to read this on the radio, but he said I've been listening to you guys when it comes to uh, soils and managing pH first and cation exchange capacities and so forth, and I've had good success with that. The other day I met someone who also looked at at this Albright Kinsey system. They were looking at total exchange capacity and spending a lot of time focusing on the magnesium to calcium ratio. I'm just trying to learn what's going to help my yields improve from where I am now. Just curious what your thoughts are on those things. Well, we're talking the same thing. So what we talk about all the time basically is that. We use a couple of different terms. So total exchange capacity is also going to include some of the micronutrients in your bases and stuff like that. But I mean, total exchange capacity or calcium or cation uh, exchange capacity, basically the same thing. And in terms of the magnesium calcium, or as we often say, calcium to magnesium ratio, yes, that enters in a little bit, but we prefer to look at all five nutrients when we discuss base saturation. So it's not just calcium and magnesium. It's also calcium to potassium to sodium and to hydrogen. I think you might have just lost Brian there. But, yeah, the, there's just a little bit more that you can see with that total exchange capacity and, and just seeing what all is out there in the soil. But, yeah, like Brian said, it's it's pretty much the same thing that we're talking about. And we, we look at the base saturation to see where that calcium's at and where the magnesium's at and, and try to fit that based on what we have for a soil that we're dealing with. On the light, sandy soils, we may want a little more magnesium to try to hold a little more water. On the heavy clay soils, we may want a little bit less magnesium so we aren't quite so sticky and and tough to work with so yeah thanks for the feedback gabe we really appreciate it and if you have specific questions on any of your soil tests or, or anything on your farm just let us know got this one from bn who said i'm wondering is there a way to get rid of common burdock for good or do you just need to keep up with spraying it it is a warm season biennial weed and we've got mainly in our tree belts, common burdock. And that's where it gets to be a little bit tricky. I really like the product Freelex that we had mentioned earlier. It's a, a 2,4-D that doesn't have volatility. However, with biennials, it's not necessarily going to get way down into that root system. So I'd like to hit it on year one when it's in that rosette stage. If we can do that, we have the best success. We get questions about, can I spray it when it's already making seed? You can, uh, and you probably still should try and kill the weed off as best you can, but uh, once it already goes to seed, you're going to be fighting some more again down the road. Thanks for the question, BN. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.